This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Blaze Radio Network. And now, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, all you happy warriors. Welcome to each and every single happy warrior. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, Reveal how the world really works. Thank you for being part of the show, and uh, thank you for all you have done. So many of you have helped promote the word of the show, helped get it around, and uh, indeed internationally now in more and more countries around the world, we are being downloaded in ever-increasing numbers. So thank you for that, and it makes it a very exciting experience for me. So uh, that is something you are doing for me, and I am certainly grateful. Now, the uh, subject of today's show is male-female. Now, you might say, you know, what does this have to do with me? I'm in a perfectly happy male-female relationship, or maybe you'll say, what has it got to do with me? I'm not in any relationship, and I, I know there's at least one person listening who doesn't want to be in any kind of a relationship. He is deciding to remaining voluntarily celibate, and uh, I'm happy he's listening, and I hope he does listen. But um, it is actually relevant to every single person. Why is that? Well, because of the 5F principle. What is the 5F principle? Well, you've heard of the five books of Moses, right? And if you've wondered why it is that uh, after about 3,000 years of that book, the five books of Moses, uh, what I call the Torah, uh, is still around and not only is it still around, but it continues to exert powerful and sometimes even ultimate influence over millions of people, not tens of millions, but probably how many people around the world today uh, would, would I say follow the Torah in great detail to the best of their abilities? A good couple of million, good few million, maybe, maybe three or four million. You know, ballpark, not 30 million, not 300. No, no, about about 3 million. But that's a lot of people. And this is not people, uh, it's not a group of people living in isolated caves somewhere. This is not people living primitive lives in, in the jungles of the world. Uh, no, these, these are not people living in tents in the desert no, these are uh, doctors and computer programmers, and um, one of them I know personally is a plumber and a fantastic plumber at that, and uh, they are everything, and they're, they're living modern lives. Uh, some of them are judges in American courts. 
some of them are uh, uh, pilots of of airliners for international carriers. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that at no point is there a uh, fatal conflict between the value system that's 3,000 years in the five books and the lives of people. You want to know why? Like, you know, is why do people follow it? And the answer is because it works, right? It's, it's the same reason, you know, if you wonder why, why are there people who spend so much more money than necessary on a car. You know, you can you can get a perfectly adequate piece of transportation for, you know, a certain amount of money. But if you're willing to spend twice as much, maybe three times as much, why? You could buy a car from a uh, um, manufacturer like, you know, Mercedes or BMW or Lexus, and, you know, and a number of other, why, why do people spend that? You know why? Because it works. Because they feel that the benefits outweigh the costs. That's all. And that is the explanation for why the five books of Moses has endured. Because for several million people, the benefits outweigh the costs. What are the costs? The costs are you are not at liberty to do exactly what you feel like at any given moment. And the benefits are enormous. Five books of Moses. Well, now you know why there are five Fs. And now you know why it is faith and finances, family, friendship, and fitness. There are five of them. And um, that is something that uh, you all understand and know. Now, uh, family is at root a question of male-female relationships, right? No male-male relationship produces a family. No male-female-female relationship produces a family. There's only one kind of relationship that can produce a family. And indeed, um, it does. So next time you enjoy being with your family, and next time you look around the room, and you see uncles and aunts, maybe it's a wedding celebration, and you see cousins, and you see um, uh, other relatives, nieces and nephews, then you realize that all of these people are linked in the fantastic dynamic that we call a family only because grandpa and grandma had a relationship many years ago. They caught one another's eyes, they got engaged, they got married, and found ecstasy in one another's arms, and the result, well, guess what? There's a family. And so the important thing to understand is that none of these things exist in isolation. Family and friendship, finance and uh, fitness, and uh, faith. These five are all interlinked. And so when I say that today's show is about male-female relationships, please don't for one moment think that there is any lifestyle that you enjoy, any way of living that engages you, uh, that male-female relationships are not important. In other words, if, if nothing else, having a better understanding of what the opposite sex thinks and feels is in itself useful in almost every possible interaction. So with that, uh, with that said, 
Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more soon also about a brand new book. Finally, although you've heard me talk about the five Fs extensively for a long time, uh, what you don't know is that there is actually a book, perhaps the most important one I've ever written, uh, certainly one that has engaged me more deeply and more uh, viscerally than anything else, uh, and that's called The Holistic You. And the book is uh, just a few days away from being released, and uh, you can go ahead and pre-order it on Amazon. You go to Amazon and you look for The Holistic You, The Holistic You by Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and uh, go ahead and order it right away. You're going to need it anyways. You may as well do it now, and if you do it now, we might uh, have the fun, and this is just me indulging my uh, childish side. Uh, it would be fun to see the ranking numbers improve once uh, you all start hearing this podcast and start acting on that. So um, do that also without goes without saying. I hope you are already subscribed to the podcast. Uh, but if you're not, please go ahead and do that as well. So those are my requests from today. Before I go to the basic question of why do men have nipples? That's right. Extraordinarily, when you think about it, it's, it's weird. I mean, there on my chest are two nipples. Why? They, they're never going to have and never have had any practical use of any kind whatsoever. What's going on? Well, as with many questions about the human body, if you are a regular listener to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show, if you have read any of what I've written, you probably already know that with any question about the human body, there are two completely different and incompatible explanations. And guess what? You get to choose which one you want to embrace into your worldview. You get to choose which one you wish to incorporate into your personal spiritual schematic. What are the two explanations for anything about the human body? One explanation is evolutionary biology. And you will hear this extensively. Uh, it's, it's widely um, accepted. It's widely presumed to be correct. And, uh, you know, and that is that everything has an evolutionary biological explanation, you know, because a um, hundred thousand years ago, out there on the African savanna, a man and a woman did this or that, or a man or a woman. And therefore, that's why we have these things today. Uh, the second explanation is completely different, and uh, it's the explanation you will hear from me, because you can hear the evolutionary biological explanation from anybody, and what's more, you can actually make it up yourself. Why do I say that? Because there is no evidence for any evolutionary biological explanation. There are many of them that sound plausible and logical. There are many of them that might even be true. But the second explanation is quite different. The second explanation is God created it this way with a purpose. The purpose is usually to help us understand ourselves. A good and loving God wants his children to be able to live successfully and happily. But to do that, you've got to know yourself. 
And so he gives us clues because he built our spiritual nature, which is invisible and hard sometimes to discern. Our spiritual natures are paralleled by our anatomical realities. All right, now, I hope I'm not going to be getting too gruesome or gross. I hope I'm not going to be getting too explicit, but I do want you to understand it, and uh, I don't want to in any way uh, diminish my reputation for veracity by humming and hawing or by beating around the bush, and so we will take a look at what I mean. Here's the principle. Our anatomical realities, the way God created our bodies, are meant to reflect the spiritual realities of who we really are. So um, let me give you an example to make sure that this is very clear. Uh, Only men, and I'm trying to phrase this in as delicate a way as I can, only men send their reproductive seed down the same channel as wastewater. All right, so reproduction in women occurs in a totally different organ from urination. But with men, it's the same. Why? Well, explanation number one is the explanation of evolutionary biology, and that explanation says that by a random process of natural selection, that is how male reproduction developed. How? Why? Well, nobody really knows. It just did. That is that is the explanation number one. And, uh, I, you know, I dare say that if I spent some time thinking about it, which I don't, but I, if I did, I probably would be able to come up with a way, uh, with a reason for why that is evolutionarily beneficial. <laughs> it sounds like a, a, a strange exercise and probably an entertaining one, but at any rate. Um, I can't really spend time on that. What's the explanation number two? Explanation number two is that this is to tell us that men are different from women in that one way we're different is that men are far more likely than women to waste their reproductive force in every way. So in other words, um, while seed and wastewater cannot pass simultaneously, it's one or the other, they're awfully close to each other. And that tells us that in the area of reproduction, men are much more likely than women to produce wasteful and useless behavior. So for instance, um, are there more women prostitutes or men prostitutes in the world? or in your city, or in your country, or in any way you want to choose. You really should not have to think long about that question. Because everybody knows, stands to reason, it's obvious and evident that there are far more women prostitutes than men prostitutes. The reason is because there are far more men customers than there would be women customers. <laughs> that's, that's pretty clear, right? I don't have to dwell on that. That's pretty obvious. Uh, So men are more easily diverted away from long-term reproductive relationships by something transient and ultimately unsatisfying. Um, Who are the most likely customers 
for the world of pornography? Again, everybody knows the answer. It's men, not women. This is a spiritual reality that men are more powerfully drawn and far more susceptible to destructive sexual behavior than women, and that is indicated, that's hinted at, by the proximity between reproductive seed and waste. That's in men, not in women. All right, so these are two different explanations. The uh, evolutionary biology explanation is, well, there must be some evolutionary advantage given to men because of this, and all the men that, that uh, didn't have it died out 100,000 years ago and leaving only the men who did it to uh, reproduce through natural selection. And the other explanation is that, um, that the physical nature of our bodies is a mirror-like reflection of our hidden spiritual natures. And by studying our bodies and recognizing that they were created as a physical reflection of our spiritual underlying reality, uh, we gain understanding and important insight about ourselves. Now, you get to choose whichever explanation you want to embrace and incorporate into your spiritual schematic. What is going to become part of how you view the world? You get to choose. And um, obviously, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's no scoring here, and uh, and I get no extra points if you choose explanation two of explanation one. My job merely is to inform, enlighten, and maybe possibly even every now and then occasionally to entertain. But um, at any rate, there you got it. You get to choose. At the very least, you get to choose which explanation is more useful an explanation. And so it is with with every aspect of the body. Uh, Take the fact that women's reproductive organs are basically invisible, whereas men's reproductive organ um, is very present and very visible and and provides sometimes shocking and stark evidence of, of of jutting, arrogant masculinity, if I can put it that way. This is a fundamental distinction in the area of reproduction, a fundamental distinction in the area of sexuality between men and women. And uh, explanation, explanation number one, random process of natural selection. Uh, Why are men's reproductive organs outside the body and uh, women's are inside? Uh, I don't know exactly, but it it conferred some kind of evolutionary advantage. And so early people or animals or creatures who didn't possess these distinctive and different characteristics didn't make it, and only those that did survive to reproduce. And Wong, guess what? Here we are. That's explanation one. Uh, Explanation two is a lot different, and that is that um, uh, men are uh, much more forward about their masculinity. They are much more demonstrative. And, um, and you find this also in the animal world, interestingly enough. You know, it's the peacock, not the peahen, with the splendid tail that uh, he goes about demonstrating at the slightest provocation. Well, it doesn't take much for a man to flex his muscles or to uh, exert his masculinity. Yes, we are um, much more physical about that, much more forward about it. Uh, women are, by nature, more modest about these things. 
How do I know that? I'm not a woman. Um, it's, it's very simple. I look at clothing catalogs, and um, uh, th there used to be a time where in order to understand this amazing country called America before I got here, um, somebody once gave me a Sears catalog, and uh, I couldn't believe my eyes. I literally could. I'd never seen anything like this. And it's, you know, it was four or 500 pages of color photographs of almost everything you could want to buy, um, including, I believe, although I don't remember actually seeing this myself, but I, maybe I'm just superimposing it on my memory because it's a few years ago, but even a house, anything. In the Sears catalog, it was the most amazing thing. And, uh, you know, if somebody would have said to me, then the day will come where Sears will no longer be a dominant, powerful, important retailer, you know, I probably would have been baffled at, at that age. How can that be? Look what they're doing. They make available to people, anyone who can get a catalog by mail can go ahead and order whatever they need. Um, but uh, give Jeff Bezos of, of Amazon credit because he said uh, that the day will come where something will knock Amazon out of business. Some kind of development will move Amazon out of business. And he's absolutely right. Hard to imagine today but uh, that is a reality. And um, in the audio program on my website, there's an audio program called Tower of Power, uh, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. And one of the things I speak about there is how prevalent it is. And I give many, many examples of when a company builds a flashy, extravagant new headquarters building they are sowing the seeds of their own inevitable demise. Uh, one of the signs of corporate extinction is the building of a big headquarters. And I, I mentioned this just because I was talking about Sears. And if you look at the share price and if you look at the corporate history, uh, Sears began its long slide downwards to oblivion just after they built their huge Chicago headquarters. I think it's still called the Sears Tower or the Sears Building, although it's no longer owned by Sears. And, and I think perhaps the new owner is trying to get people to call it by its new name. But it, it's a very visible and dominant um, item on the Chicago, Illinois skyline. And so uh, in that Sears catalog, that's why I mentioned it, I remember clearly, and I've, I've since then checked many, many times to make sure because it's so, it's so beautiful. It's such an elegant validation of this uh, fundamental point is that um, the word modest appears page after page in the women's clothing section, but I never, ever saw it in the men's section. And I've since checked in uh, clothing stores online as well where um, – it says something like, uh, it shows a woman's dress, and then it'll say, opaque for modesty. Or sometimes they say, wear a slip for modesty, and then they show there's a link to a, an appropriate undergarment. Um, uh, there was one I remember with a low neckline, and then it said, comes with optional modesty panel. And that's another piece of fabric you can sort of button in the neckline for women who don't want to expose that much cleavage. 
ladies, you barely need me to tell you that you will never find anything like that in the men's clothing section. Um, there isn't so, <laughs> there's, there's no point at which you'll find in the men's clothing catalog. Uh, for modesty purposes, you can do this, or here's a modesty option. No, uh, modesty is not a male characteristic. It is a female characteristic. These are spiritual differences between men and women, and you know how we know? Well, because women's um, uh, essence, if you like, is concealed, and men's essence is revealed, a reflection of our real realities. And uh, and so with those as examples, we can now go on to nipples, okay? But um, first, let me just uh, remind you that now would be a really good time to uh, put me on pause and go ahead to Amazon and order yourself a copy of The Holistic You, The Holistic You. And uh, the subtitle is How to Integrate Your Family and Your Finances, Your Fitness, Your Friendships, and Your Faith. And, uh, you know, understandably, that is really the secret. I, I, I laugh sometimes because very often if I, if I do a speech somewhere on uh, male-female relationships, at the end it's, been, it's happened that uh, the me moderator gets up and says, well, Rabbi Lapton, thank you very much for your speech. And to finish off, let me ask you, how about giving us the one secret for successful marriage? And what I usually do is I sort of pretend to reflect for a few moments and I uh, rub my chin and I look around as, as if I'm thinking deeply and I said, fine, okay, I'm going to tell you the one secret for successful marriage. The one secret for successful marriage is, and I pause for dramatic effect, and then I say that there is no one secret. For anything as complex as marriage, the idea that there's one thing that applies at every time to all different, different couple. No, it's nonsense. Anything, any system that is complex cannot be solved or resolved by one solution. Even complicated equations cannot be solved to one solution. Uh, quadratic equations, for instance. No, there is no. And sometimes after talks on finance and business. Okay, so when you get right down to it, what is the one most important secret for increasing your income. Somebody might ask me, and this is after uh, people have uh, heard a 45-minute speech on that topic. They may even uh, be getting ready to buy a copy of Thou Shalt Prosper or Business Secrets from the Bible. And again, you know, I say, well, you want to know the one secret of, of building a business or the one secret of increasing your revenue? The one secret is that there is not one secret. And sure enough, in the complexity of life, the idea that finance is the important thing and that you should postpone every other aspect of your life while you focus on finance, career, job, it's madness. It's sheer delusion. Or alternatively, just, uh, just today I got a charming letter from a friend of mine. Actually, it's, it's on the website in the Happy Warriors, you know, the We Happy Warriors section where people can write in and I can answer. Uh, somebody actually wrote in and, and thanked me for clarifying this recently in the Financial Prosperity Collection. And he says, because I uh, tended to 
spend more time with my wife and children. And I told myself I was being a good husband and father instead of spending the correct amount of energy on my business and on my clients. And he says, in addition to that, he said, I didn't, I didn't want to face my wife's anger. And we'll talk about that as well a little bit later. And he thanked me for introducing the 5F balance, the idea that in the interests of your family, there's things you have to do financially. And in the interests of your finances, there's things you have to do family-wise. And, uh, and so it is with all of the 5Fs. Explaining that fully is the job of my new book called The Holistic You, Integrating these five fundamental focuses of your life, your finance, your faith, your family, your friendships, your social life, your community, your friendship, uh, and uh, your fitness. These are uh, really important things to understand, and uh, uh, the book is filled with insights that I think will make you gasp and, and I say that in all humility because they're not mine. They're from ancient Jewish wisdom. I didn't come up with anything. But as I was compiling them and putting them into shape while I was writing the book together with Susan Lappin, um, we just looked at each other in astonishment and said, this is going to blow people's minds. They're not going to believe this. But there's nothing you have to believe or take on faith because the proof for everything is laid out. Uh, the book is called The Holistic You. And uh, you'll find that on Amazon. I'd love it if you'd go ahead and pre-order a copy of that. Do it right away, and uh, you will have it very, very soon, just as soon as it's released in, in literally days from now. But uh, go ahead. All right, that would be lovely. And if, if you do that, I thank you very, very much indeed. So uh, now, nipples on men. All right, so um, explanation one is right um, random, pro random process of natural selection, why it should benefit men to keep their nipples. You know, I don't know how random um, natural selection would explain that. I really don't. I mean, the idea is that it should, they're vestigial, they're useless. Uh, how they came about, I get that part, by the way. That's not a problem, right? Um we all know that if there is a Y, everyone knows that the fetus starts off in the womb as basically a female. But if that embryo contains a Y chromosome, then what will happen is that at about six or seven weeks, all of a sudden, a irrepressible jolt of testosterone is injected into the embryo, and all of a sudden, uh, the breasts stop developing as female breasts, and the male organs start developing, and a baby boy is going to be born um, seven or eight months later. That's what happens. So uh, we, we get that. The mechanism is not hard to understand. And uh, since the baby in the original fetus, when it forms, is female, so it has nipples. And then if there is, if the chromosomes are XX, well, then those nipples and breasts develop fully into female breasts. And if, um, and if there is a Y chromosome, then the, that development halts and all that's left is the nipple um, of, um, uh, of, of what was going to. Okay, we all, we all get that part. That's easy. But the question is, so, but why? You would have thought 
that the, if, if indeed all the extraordinary changes in organism that are claimed for the evolutionary biology approach, the most remarkable things, why would something as vestigially useless as a male nipple simply not have gone away, right? But it hasn't. So that's as far as explanation one is concerned. I have to leave it at that. But how about explanation two? All right. And um, explanation two is that it reflects a spiritual message to men. And I'm just giving you part of it now. I don't want to I don't want to dwell on it extensively, but here's enough to be going on with, which is that the spiritual message to men is that even though, man, you do not have operational equipment, right? Your your breast is basically useless. That nipple not going to be doing any good. You know, any hungry kids, tough luck. So even though you don't have operational equipment, you nonetheless as a man have an obligation to nurture your baby. How? By making it and its mother safe and sustained. You've got to make sure that mom is fed and taken care of and safe, and mom will take care of the baby. So you may not be able to do it directly with your nipple, but that nipple is a constant reminder. Every single time you take a shower, look down at those two useless nipples and say, I know what they're there for. They're there to make me a better father, a better husband, because the ultimate joy is reproduction. And it's not much good to just birth a baby. That baby's got to make it into adulthood and I'm the person who can make that happen. That baby has less chance of ending up in jail. That baby has less chance of suffering violence. That baby has more chance of succeeding in education and in life if I stick around and do my nipple work. If I stick around and make sure that that baby has a father and its mother has a husband, then I will be doing my nipple job, if, if you'll allow me to put it that way. It's not terribly elegant, but, but you know what I mean. But um, uh, there, there are things to understand here about it, and that is that I have to tell you something which uh, is an amazing fact is that this thing that happens to the embryo at six or seven weeks that it gets this jolt of testosterone and all of a sudden these dramatic changes start occurring and all of a sudden things that were developing in a certain direction are halted on a dime and all of a sudden there's a completely different direction in which these things start developing and um, and, and, and utterly different. This is very violent. This is very strong. It's, it's, it's very traumatic. Well, I, I hate that word traumatic. Okay, I won't use that. Uh, but it's, let, let's put it this way. It's a fight. It's a struggle. Something is happening. And this, by the way, is one of the explanations for why male babies are more fragile than female babies. And I'm, I'm sure certainly um, women know this. Uh, it's a fact. It's an absolute reality, which is that uh, uh, baby girls are actually physically stronger and more robust than baby boys. It's a known fact in general. Why is that? Because the boys have had a pretty rough couple of months because the boys were being hammered in there as, 
this testosterone came in and sort of upset the whole apple cart. All of us, you know, everything was moving along quite nicely and normally to the production of another beautiful little female baby, little baby girl. And then all of a sudden, here comes this mean, strong, aggressive testosterone and starts fiddling and adjusting and molding and changing. And the end result, you know, is uh, an ugly little boy. All right, sorry, those of you who uh, have just given birth to beautiful baby boys, and but uh, I always joke that my mother expected a beautiful little girl and um, and received a uh, New Year's gift um, of an ugly little boy. But anyways, um, regardless, the important thing is that what I think everybody does know is that more males are born than females. Why does nature do that, right? If you want the explanation one, or why does God do that in explanation two? There's about 105, approximately, 105 baby boys born for every 100 baby girls. You know why? Because they don't survive at exactly the right amount. So in order, in order for the number of men and women to be basically equal, for the number of men and women in a society to be equivalent, and there have to be slightly more boys born because their survival rate is lower. Why is their survival rate lower? Because they had to undergo this hard, difficult struggle to become boys, and it left them weakened, right? Any struggle does, right? If you, you know, a boxer comes out of a seven-bout match, right, he's weak, very weak. A struggle takes it out of you, and that's exactly what happens. So, um so you got to see what that's all about. So nipples remind us that being a female is absolutely normal and natural, but it takes a jolt of energy, a massive infusion of energy in order to make a male. And that's really important. I mean, you should really, you should really hear that again. Being a girl is absolutely natural because that's how every fetus starts off. And if nobody interferes, if there aren't any pesky Y chromosomes and no such interference, naturally and inevitably, the baby girl will be born. Baby girls are natural. Baby boys only come about because of a sudden, massive jolt of testosterone. Let's go a little bit further along this line of understanding. So a girl is born with all that she is. That's how a girl is born. What am I talking about? Every egg she'll ever have is already in her when she's born. Isn't that astounding? That's, that's an amazing thought. You know, if you've ever remember as a child saying to yourself, well, you know, what's when you get to the last star, you look up in wonder at the nighttime sky and and uh, your your parents teach you that those are stars and they're very far away. And you say, well, you know, what's past the stars? More stars. And what's past them? Well, but there must be an end of it. I mean, if people say there's so many stars in the universe, you know, how many? All right, so sort of stuff can really get at you. Well, thinking about the fact that a tiny little baby girl, this eight pounds of protoplasm, is born into the world, and in her are the eggs for every child she'll ever have. It's, it's crazy, but it's a reality. In other words, she's born with all her full potential, 
right there. Now, she's going to grow up. She's going to uh, uh, mature physically. She's going to become beautiful and alluring and seductive. All of those things are going to happen, but they're just going to happen. There's nothing much she has to do. By contrast, a boy creates new seeds all his life. For as long as he produces sperm, fresh sperm are being produced. He isn't born with everything that he is going to be right there. No, a boy is different. And the spiritual message there is that boys have to be receiving a jolt and an infusion of energy. Right? Not testosterone because that was just in utero, but if you don't give boys something, they won't turn into proper males. And sure enough, if you think about it, isn't it true that by and large, and there are cultural corruptions that are taking place in some countries now where women are becoming so masculinized that they're even beginning to become involved in violent crime, including murder, uh, right? Death row used to be just men, and for the most part, it still is. Uh, violent crime, the province of men. Basically, if a woman is neglected by her parents, God forbid, but if a woman has a neglectful upbringing, baby girl, and if she sort of physically survives, she's not going to destroy the world. For the most part, for the most part, a woman who isn't acculturated, a girl who is not raised properly, what's she going to do? Well, I'll tell you what she's going to do. You know, in the crime scene, she'll probably pass some bad checks or maybe shoplift. And on the other social scene, she'll get pregnant and she'll become prey to male predators who were not raised and not acculturated and not socialized. That's the point. A girl is what she is and becomes a young woman. It happens almost automatically. But a woman, but a man doesn't have, that doesn't work that way with a man at all. With a man, if he is neglected and men of the previous generation do not acculturate him and do not socialize him, he becomes of no use to society at all. He either becomes a thug and a predator with no conscience and no ability to self-restrain his desires and his appetites, or he becomes a helpless wimp. It's one of the two. Boys who are not raised by a father, or at the very least diligently raised by men of the preceding generation, they, they turn into destroyers of society. That's it. And, and the idea that society can solve this problem of boys by welfare payments to the mother or by uh, public education that I call a gig, no, it's not going to happen that way. Other than in extraordinary and rare circumstances, the only way to make sure that boys that are born into your city or your society or your country, the only way to make sure that those boys 
become real men and become honorable, strong, faithful, good men is by making sure that they have a father. That's what it takes. There isn't an alternative. The notion that government can be the father and that government then becomes the husband of the woman providing her with security, safety, and sustenance, yeah, I think we've all lived long enough to see that that does not work. And so those boys, yeah, the, the journey is thug, predator, or wimp. It's one of the two. That's what happens if you neglect a boy. And if, I mean, we just have to look around, right, in order to see how true that is. So um, we've got to make sure, I mean, people have to understand, boys are nothing until they have been socialized and acculturated by the earlier generation of men. But girls, yeah, girls are. Girls become young ladies and then wives and above all mothers with negligible outside input. Nothing much is needed. It helps a lot. And it's a girl who had a father in her life is very different from a girl who had no father in her life. No question about that. But um, she will still become a woman. A man with no father in his life, with no input, with no intergenerational acculturation, well, he is in a very different situation. He's headed for bad trouble. This is one of the reasons that many societies, it's not just the Maasai in Kenya, but it's many societies have very important and serious initiation rites for boys to become men. The Native American Indians had that because most societies that live in the world realize that this is a huge issue, that women will be women, girls will become women, but boys, if society, if parents, if fathers, if we don't do something, they become destructive elements of doom, so sticks of social dynamite. That's what happens. So, um, uh, we could say that uh, boys are nothing until they've become socialized and acculturated by the earlier generation of men, but uh, girls are. Uh, the idea that boys can be sculpted by economic incentives is utter nonsense. Nothing but culture and values can do that. The idea that boys will somehow naturally come to their senses, oh, never mind, you know, put, through, put boys through a gig, let boys go through public school, let boys go to college, and then all of a sudden um, they'll discover, oh, I, I guess I should get a job and become a serious and responsible. Eh, it doesn't happen like that. Doesn't happen. For the most part, other than in a few exceptions, doesn't happen. And that is part of the avenue of societal collapse when the fundamental values and cultures that sustained the society in the first place begin to uh, corrode and evaporate and finally vanish. So um, a woman is, that's it. You know, now she may learn later to how to become a plumber or she may learn how to be a bookkeeper or she may learn how to, uh, uh, you know, whatever. She may learn various skills. But in the essence of who she is, she is already a valuable 
person to society, if she doesn't get a single additional skill, she, she will automatically become a, a member of a community. She will connect with people. She is a woman, just is. She, she is beautiful, and she is seductive, and she civilizes men by her very presence, right? Until recently, the corruption of women, men would watch their language in front of girls, I mean, even at high school, guys knew that. Women are good for society just the way they are. But uh, a man, when I say a woman is, period, end of sentence, I say a man is only what he has achieved, what he has built, what he has done, what he has made of himself. It's a fundamental difference. And subconsciously, it is the way even you, evaluate and look at men and women. You do. When you, you, when you see a woman, you might say to yourself, what an attractive woman, right? If, if, you, if you have a shred of uh, Y chromosomes inside of you, uh, you're going to say, yeah, what an attractive woman. Uh, if you speak to, if you meet a man, one of the first thoughts you're going to have is, as a man, one of the first thoughts you probably will have is, can I take him? Is he, is he, could he take me or could I take him? That's something that goes on deep in the souls of mankind, ladies. I don't know if you, you probably didn't know that, but uh, deep inside of us, that's one of the things that happens. But then we gradually become civilized by our, we're made to be civilized by our parents. Um, and the next thing we ask is, what does he do? I wonder what he does. And the speed with which we think that about a man is far quicker than the speed with which we think that about a woman. See a woman, we're first taken up by what she is, not by what she does. When we see a man, our first instinct is to wonder what he does. It's a difference between men and women, and it is a fundamental real-world difference that is uh, alluded to by our spiritual reality and our physical reality. Um, Women naturally talk and communicate. This is a foundational imperative for civilization, for human society, communication, connection. Women do that. You don't believe me? Conduct an experiment. Uh, get a play group of little girls. Put them in a room. and put, You can have some toys in the room, like some wooden blocks, and uh, put them in the corner. And when you come back in an hour you're probably going to find the group of little girls sitting in a circle on the floor talking. That's right. That is probably, look, and, you know, as a parent, I, I know this is true, and you should know that too. Now, by contrast, to make the experiment complete, get a group of three or four or five little boys and put them in a room, maybe with a box of wooden blocks in the corner, and come back. Well, you're not going to come back in an hour because the racket in there is going to uh, suggest to you that mayhem is taking place and you'll go in earlier. Uh, you will not expect to see the little boy sitting in a circle talking. You will not also not see the box of wooden blocks still sitting neatly in the corner. Um, it is going to be all over the place and the, the, the wooden blocks are going to have been turned into a building by one boy that's got knocked down by another, which means the two boys will hurl themselves at each other in combat, and uh, they may even use the wooden blocks as weapons. Yeah, there's a difference. Women communicate naturally. Men do not communicate naturally. 
um, there is probably no man in the history of humanity that has ever said to his woman, honey, you know, I really sometimes think we need to talk more often. We need to do more talking. Right? But there's plenty of women who say to their husbands, you know, we do need to talk more. And they're right. Of course they're right. But it's not natural to men. It's natural to women because women are born with all that they are right there. Um, with men, women, women talk while men do. Right? That's our, our inner nature. It's not how we should necessarily remain. Um, and you can see, I mean, the reality is that um, women's ultimate role, if you like, um, active reproductive role is far more passive. It's to be a receiver of the seed, which is naturally and obviously ultimately incredibly stimulating to a man. I mean, it's not that it has no importance or no impact on him. Of course it does. But her ultimate role is that of passive receiver. The man will just listen to the word. It's used in in pharmaceutical marketing, and it's used in all kinds of areas. The word is perform. Enhance your performance. I mean, I'm sorry to even say these things, but today, you know, you can't even watch a primetime television program without seeing an ad that uses a phrase like that. Men, perf performance is, or perform, is a word only used with men, not with women. Because men have to do, and their entire value is on what they do. And so we think of a man, or we look at a man, or we talk to a man, and what we really want to find out is, what have you achieved? What, did you, what have you built? What's your track record? What have you done? What have you made of yourself? How have you changed the world? How have you moved the world? What, what do you do? And that's, we even say that, right? That's the language we use. We meet somebody for the first time. You know, hi, I'm John. Hello, I'm Thomas. What do you do? Yeah. It's a much less natural question to ask a woman, although uh, obviously, as I say, the culture has profoundly corrupted women in some countries much more than others. Um, I'm looking forward to revisiting Africa next year, and I'll, I'll tell you that the damage done to women far less in Africa than in other parts of the world, just as it happens. Um, ever, ever heard of the phrase, come on, man up? Right? Why is it that a mother might say to her son, be a man? But why didn't she ever say to her daughter, be a woman? <laughs> For exactly the reason we're talking about. You'd never say, well, come on, woman up. Because she is already a woman. There's nothing she has to do to validate her womanhood. But there's a lot that a man has to do to validate his masculinity. That's what I want you to begin to, to really get clear. It is much harder for society to produce good men than good women. Right? Any responsible society, any responsible, any responsible and wise government would realize the necessity to build up men, to make sure that little boys become men. The society needs that desperately, and it's much harder. You don't have to do that much to make sure that little girls will turn into young women and be a credit and a benefit to the world in which they live. But for men, it's much harder for society to produce good men. 
easier for society to produce good women because it happens almost by itself. And so let me stress a point here. <clears throat> if I mean, I hope you're with me on all of this. I know, I know this is difficult because it flies in the face of popular culture. It's opposite to everything you're hearing out there. But in my very best service to you, in the way I can be of most value to you, I don't think I can do better than simply say, that's wrong, it's all false, and what we're talking about here is fundamental truth. This is the reality. And uh, the notion that uh, a woke culture will change the fundamental nature of men and women is, I guess, one of the prime disagreements between uh, liberalism and conservatism, really one of the prime ones. Oh, we're just we're going to train men to be more like women. Well, first of all, you won't succeed. And if you did, you'd destroy society. You'd destroy every place in which you succeeded. So please hear this very clearly. It is harder for men to be men than for women to be women. For a woman, wanting to have a baby becomes almost natural, right? There's, there's a language that is used in women's magazines, baby hunger. And there's discussions about typically what age does it strike women, and I don't have to go into that. It's a conversation for another time. But a woman wanting to have a baby, knowing how to hold a baby, how to calm down a baby, it's almost natural to most women. Now, obviously, if a woman grew up in a happy, healthy family and she saw her mother handle her younger siblings, then obviously she knows better than most. But even without that, there is an intuitive sense in women how to be mothers. Man, you ever heard of a boy saying, I mean, I've got real baby hunger? It's very rare. Let's just put it that way. It's very, very unusual. You know, a man saying to another man, you know, I'm, I'm already 35 and I, I, I really want to have a baby. Really? <laughs> no, that's not how it happens. And so uh, um, these, the, the essential human skill of communication and connection, whether it's to other women or to babies or even to men, it's natural to women. It's not natural to men. Um, something else that's natural to women is the desire to postpone or avoid confrontation um, on even important matters. That is a feminine characteristic. Wanting to talk things through, wanting to find a peaceful resolution, wanting to negotiate rather than confront, that's very feminine. And um, uh, men, men will yield to this, by the way. They'll yield to this desire when women become more masculine. So as, as men become depressingly feminine and feminized, when female-dominated society succeeds in persuading men that to masculinity is toxic and succeeds in persuading men that, that every natural manifestation of your body and your soul expressing your masculinity is wrong, bad, evil, destructive. Well, uh, obviously that encourages women to become more and more masculine. So you do have, in a decayed and dying society, you do have a gender reversal that takes place. You also have much more, which I'll talk about in just a moment, as we bring ourselves in towards the conclusion of today's discussion. And so uh, uh, when, when men sort of defer having to be disciplined and, and defer being, uh, being tough, uh, 
and yielding. All right, that is a very natural thing. When, when men give in to their children and when men try to buy their children's affection with candy, uh, when men are yielding and permissive when it comes to raising their children, they are being womanlike. And it's easier. Look, let's face it. For a woman to say to her children, just you wait till your father comes home, that should strike terror into the child. And it's much easier for a woman to say that than it is for the man to come home from a busy and hard day at work and to have his wife say to him, I need you to take Tommy out to the woodshed and give him a very good spanking. Gosh, all I want to do, I'm home from work, all I want to do is bask in the warm embrace of my happy family. The last thing I want to do is be a man right now. And you have no option. If you are a man and you want to retain your wife's admiration, you have no option. It's hard being the man. It's not only harder for nature to produce a man in utero. It's not only harder for society to create a man. It's harder to be a man. I mean, even to, you know, a man wants to be a manly sort of man. He's got to develop strength. All right. I remember receiving American comics when I was a child back in Africa. And I would read these comics and they all had Charles Atlas advertisements about don't be a weakling. Right? Did anyone ever say to a girl, don't be a weakling? Well, maybe nowadays they do, but uh, no, girls are the weaker sex. I mean, do you really need me to tell you that? But boys, don't be a weakling. Hey, that bully kicked sand in your face at the beach, I remember the ad saying. Well, all you got to do now is commit to a three-year program of aggressive, strenuous, grueling, arduous, exhausting physical workout with exercise machinery and running and going to the gym, and then you'll become a strong man. Notice that girls don't have to do that. Now, to avoid putting on weight, you know, that's a different story. Uh, there, are, there are reasons why that happens, but um, uh, let's not for the moment talk about the food that uh, we eat and the food and how much of it we eat and the kind of food we eat. But I'm trying to explain that it's, I want you to understand this, that it is harder to be a man than it is to be a woman. So uh, uh, it is easier you know, if there's an argument, it's easier to try and sort of, listen, let's see if we can't compromise. It's That's a feminine way of doing this. And there are many times where maybe the feminine approach is exactly what's needed. I'm not saying that in every business negotiation, you have to be confrontational and aggressive. You do that, you'll quickly discover nobody wants to do business with you. And so masculine and feminine. But fact is, it's much harder to take the masculine approach. It is more challenging. It takes more out of you. It's exhausting. The feminine approach is wanting to be, to, wanting people to be happy, to, to make people happy. Now, a man wants his woman to be happy, no question about that. But being manly is, I'm, I'm okay with people not being happy. If that's what's needed to do what needs to be done, then I'm okay with women not liking me or not being happy because I have to do what has to be done. To be willing to do what is needed and believed right 
even if nobody thanks you or even if nobody shows any happiness. That is exactly what a man has to do. You know, there's much to learn from World, from World War II. There's much more to learn from World War II than from Korea. Right? The Korea lesson, I can tell you probably in a couple of sentences. Um, Vietnam, tragic. I can tell you the lesson of Vietnam in one sentence. But World War II is filled with many lessons. And one of them is that Churchill was masculine, Chamberlain was feminine. Hitler was also masculine, by the way, as it happens. Um, Churchill was masculine and um, Chamberlain was feminine. Why? Because he told people what they wanted to hear. The memories of World War I, which at that point was not called World War I because everybody thought it was the war to end all wars. It was called the Great War. But uh, what we today look back as World War I, uh, the, the horrors of the trench warfare and the number of British men that, that were killed, the, the, the diminishing. I mean, there was a whole generation of women after World War I who had trouble finding husbands because they weren't men. You, I mean, of that age group, this is a reality that people don't always realize. This really left a, 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 a traumatic mark in the British psyche. And so the last thing they wanted to hear was, hey, you're going to have to fight this horrible man, Hitler, and you're going to have to do it sooner or later. And if you make it later, it's going to be a much worse, much bloodier fight. So you have to do it now. That's a very masculine message. Chamberlain couldn't do that. He was desperate to make people happy. Okay, peace. Everything's going to be okay. Herr Hitler is an honorable man, but that wasn't the needed male role. And so I want you to see that nothing about, very little about being a man is natural. It's, it all takes work on the part of the man. That's why it's so much harder to be a man. Um, making yourself strong, like I said. Um, how about being able to control your anger? Do you know how hard it is? Just this week, a man I respect when I was remonstrating with him that one of the, he asked me questions and he invited me to be honest, as many of my happy warriors do. And I said, nothing is going to improve in your life until you can control your temper and your anger. And he said, well, um, my wife pushes my buttons. My wife just makes me explode. And the answer is, nobody makes a man do anything. That is an indulgence that is feminine at its heart. A man is able to control his anger and his temper regardless of what anyone else is doing. Mastering his sex drive. The guy says, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't help myself. You know, one thing led to another. No, that's not a man speaking. Uh, making yourself strong, that's hard, hard work. Controlling what you eat, controlling how you exercise. These, these are to become an honorable person. Doesn't come naturally. Boys aren't born with that in the womb. To be protective. Women are born with the with the instinct to be protective towards a baby. Right? And that's why one of the reasons that again there's been corruption of the culture. So some of the things that I'm saying. Uh, you may say to yourself, well, I know people are not like that. You know, I, I get that, obviously, but I want you to think down to the intrinsic nature. Uh, people prefer having a 
girl babysitter than a boy babysitter. You know why? Because we all understand that girls are created with a protective urge towards babies. Not even, they don't have to be their own babies. And people are sometimes worried, you know, with a male babysitter. And I'm sure there are many wonderful, great male babysitters. I get it. But intrinsically, we all have a deep instinct. Now, wokeism will tell you, well, you're wrong to have this instinct. You must overcome this instinct. Um, Utter bilge water. That's rubbish. You are absolutely right to be aware of the fact that women intrinsically are more protective of babies. Are there cases of women doing horrible things to babies? I don't have to tell you. But the exception proves the rule. It doesn't uh, violate it. And so um, uh, there are cases where um, uh, men inflict horrible violence on their girlfriend's babies. Very, very common. Right? You, only, you only have to speak uh, to somebody in law enforcement, as I often do, to understand what's going on. And and um, police officers are terrified of those sort of calls where they go to, a, where they call to, she's calling in frantic terror that he's hurting my baby. Who is he? He's not the father, he's the boyfriend, and he's tired of competing with the baby for your attention. And men are not born with an instinct to be protective. Girls are. Uh, for a man to be hardworking, that's not a natural condition. Man isn't born knowing and being committed and able to work hard in a disciplined kind of way. Being disciplined, very masculine. Be creative. Uh, to be everything that a durable society needs a man to become, that is hard work. It's not automatic. It's not natural. It's not easy. Uh, going back to communication. Right as I, as I said earlier, society needs people to connect and communicate. Is this something men automatically do? No, we do not automatically talk. We automatically use our hands. We automatically act, which is one of the reasons sometimes couples have arguments and couples have fights, perfectly natural, perfectly normal. And the man only knows one way to try and make it right, and that is by holding her and caressing her. And what she wants is words. It doesn't come naturally to men. It's got to be worked on. It's got to be developed. It's got to be taught and learned and acquired, like almost everything about being a man. Right? It's hard. And that's one of the reasons that many more men so-called, you'll pardon me even using the language because it's rubbish, many more men transition to being women than women transition to being men, other than in teenage years. Uh, girl, Teenage girls are extremely susceptible to the heavy-handed propaganda that is inflicted upon them, not only by social media, <clears throat> but also uh, by the educational establishment, eager to push transgenderism in the gigs that you unknowingly send your children to. But just remember, nobody else in the whole world cares as much about your children as you do. And so uh, there's a reason. The appeal for a man to become a woman is much stronger than the appeal for a woman to become a man. And so as soon as the gates of the transgenderism 
calamity were opened, men flocked much more than women. It's much more appealing to be taken care of and to be looked after and not to have so much expected of and not to have to perform. All of these things are a part of what makes being a man hard. And uh, this is one of the reasons, by the way, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's sometimes a uh, cause of much contention among Jews, and that is there is a prayer that Jewish men say every morning among a list of other prayers, we thank God for not making me a woman. And uh, the feminist movement took aim at this 30 years ago. Oh, it just shows what traditional Judaism thinks of women. No, it doesn't. What you've got to understand is that uh, in Hebrew, the word pray is called mitpalel. I'm praying. Ani mitpalel, I'm praying. That is a verb which is a very specific and unusual verb form that is found in a number of other verbs like dressing. I'm, I'm dressing. In English, we have to say I'm dressing myself because it is a reflexive verb. I'm dress. You know, you could say I jump but you can't sort of say, I dress. You know, what do you mean? I dress myself. Oh, okay. Praying is a verb. It's a reflexive verb. And so there is an element. Yes, I'm praying to God, but I'm also praying for my own ears to hear. And if I thank God for making, for making me a man, not a woman, that helps me overcome the transgenderism urge. It helps me put down to immediately suppress any deep subconscious desires in me in which I think to myself, man, you know, my sister doesn't have to deal with us or my, my, my girlfriend doesn't have to deal. Um, I could really, I could really think, I mean, being a woman is, it's so nice. And it is in a certain sense. I'm not downplaying the challenges of being a woman, having to wait for the phone to ring for a date to have to wait to be proposed marriage to, to, to give birth, to have to deal with many of the unpleasant things about men. Look, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm far from saying that being a, a woman is a piece of cake. But in these specific areas I'm talking about, it is just downright hard to be a man. Now, we, we accept it, but we are raised and educated by our parents, particularly our fathers, teach us to be men. And so... Uh, just as it's harder to make men in the womb and it's harder to make sure that a boy grows up to be a man during the, 13, the first 13 years of his life, so similarly for us as men, it's hard to maintain our masculinity. And I repeat, almost everything that society needs a woman to be, she can become with very little struggle, very little needing to go against her nature. Almost everything that a society needs a man to be requires struggle and strength and discipline. It requires a man to go against his character, not so for a woman. So, um, and so you have to realize that, that everything that I'm talking about that applies to men pre-birth is consistent with life post-birth as well. It's a struggle. And, um, you know, who, who dies, who is more fragile in that sense? Do, do men die more? Do women die? Well, ultimately everyone, but you know what I mean. 
um, yeah, women are more robust and women are less likely to do incredibly dangerous things. If I read that somebody put on a wingsuit and jumped off a 3,000-foot cliff to try and fly, I don't have to be told the gender of the person who did it. And if he, if he got killed, I don't have to be told. Yeah, obviously, uh, men do destructive things. Men naturally tend towards destructive activity. Women naturally do not. And so just as men feel a constant tug towards being feminine. Now, you say to yourself, you know, if you're a guy, you're listening to me. Ah, come on, that's not me. All right, here goes. Talking to you, sir. It's often subconscious. A tug towards being cared for, an emotional yearning to be taken care of and for your worries to be made vanished. Um, ever felt a desire to be passive? to lie on the couch and watch a screen or television or your computer or playing with your telephone. Gentlemen, feminine behavior. You are expressing latent femininity. The passivity, watching a screen is intrinsically a feminine aspect of yourself because it's, it's passive communication. There's no action involved at all. Men are far more drawn to video games than women are. Yes, I know, many women are, but generally it appeals to men. That's why many of them are violent and sexualized. Um, all of these things, this, this, this emotional yearning towards the feminine, uh, to wanting to avoid confrontation, to wanting to avoid the discipline of having to get up and exercise, all of these things, are causing a man to become less masculine. It is not only caused by his inner feminine yearning, but it actually aggravates the inner feminine yearning. In other words, every single time you overcome your passivity, sir, you make yourself more masculine. Got to realize that our souls, our spiritual schematics, they respond to what we do much more than they respond to what we think or feel. When you get up and you uh, work out, that makes you, it makes your soul more masculine. When you uh, yield to indulgence, it makes you more feminine. It's not that women yield to indulgence. Again, I'm only talking about nature, right? Women much less have to fight the... Um, the, the drug of pornography, say, uh, the, um, the, the temptation. Women much less than men. Every time a man struggles with that, it is an expression of his masculinity. Every time he yields, it is a submission to his femininity. Um, societies, groups of people, well, without maintenance, they tend to move towards the feminine, just like that embryo, that fetus in the womb. It was heading naturally towards be a woman. Leave it alone, it'll tend towards the feminine, unless you inject energy. Societies will tend to become feminized. One of the ways in which groups of humans, societies, organizations, they tend towards being either masculine or feminine. If they believe and they like paper more than power, treaties and agreements and negotiation, 
then that is a feminine way. Not to say there's no role for that, but if that is the first recourse. That used to be America's President Obama. Uh, agreements with the Iranians, constant talking about the international community, the uh, United Nations, all of this faith in talking and talking and talking, uh, very, very feminine. Masculine, certainly to be willing to talk, to have power as well. Do you remember an American president, the f not the World War II Roosevelt, but his predecessor, walk, talk softly but carry a big stick? That's masculine. He was a masculine president. But many presidents since then have been feminine presidents. And as a society degenerates, and yes, as men relinquish and abandon their obligation to be men and the obligation of society to raise men, well, then women become more masculinized, men become more feminized, the society becomes more feminized. Entire subgroups in society become more feminized. The entire industry, the entire mental health industry, specifically therapy, very, very feminine thing. Right? Because it's not focused on action. It's focused on talk and talk and talk and talk. And uh, its effectiveness. Well, you see, here's the problem. The good Lord designed a world in which male and female have to interact, and that's how it works best. And as long as um, negative thinking and, uh, and destructive cultural ideas tend to make us think that women belong with women and men belong with men and the interests of women and the in as long as the talk is feminist in nature then um, <laughs> firstly the group becomes very feminine and eventually it begins to move towards the masculine if there are no men around and this is even indicated in the lord's language it's a wonderful thing but the Hebrew word for a woman, isha, is a feminine word. The Hebrew word for women in the plural is a masculine word, nashim, becomes masculine. Why? Because when a group of women isolate themselves from men and become a crowd of women, it, that crowd acquires masculine characteristics. And so you end up with a very destructive gender reversal. And uh, what you have in a declining society is a society which as a whole is moving towards femininity with elements in it, a growing element of male thuggishness. And, and when that happens, that society is on the skids, tremendously destructive. Um, feminine societies tend to collapse from outside pressure. What do I mean by that? Well, to take a metaphor, just think of a group of women parachuted onto a desert, remote desert island populated by savage tribes. How long do you think that group of women will survive? They won't survive as a group for any time at all because they will either be physically overwhelmed and absorbed into the tribe through force and rape, or they'll be killed. The, the notion that they'll get together one evening and say, okay, girls, let's build a campfire and discuss how we're going to resist this savage, brutal, cruel tribe that is going to attack us tomorrow. No, it's, it's all over. Um, men, 
if there are no men to protect, and men intuitively will protect, and that's one of the reasons that having women in combat units is incredibly stupid. Um, it's just one of the ways a society commits suicide because everybody knows that a man's instinct, a male soldier's instinct, will be to protect his woman warrior by his side. That's the first thing he's going to be concerned about, not inflicting damage on the enemy, but preventing the enemy from hurting the 120-pound uh, gal next to him. So, uh, I mean, we, we see the way that a society kills itself, literally inflicting fatal damage upon itself. Um, so, yes, uh, a, a male society, if it's only men, it implodes from the inside. It collapses because they don't talk, they, they, they don't communicate, they do. They don't negotiate, they fight. They don't uh, make peace, they make war. A male-only society will, will kill itself from the inside. A female-only society gets destroyed from the outside. And so masculine societies and groups don't work. Feminine societies and groups don't work. It only works in collaboration together. And that, of course, is part of the secret of understanding the F of family and the secret of the 5F program, family and finance and faith and fitness and friendship, all interacting to produce the harmonious unity that the Creator intended. So um, thanks for being with me. Help get the word out about the show. Do send it to people. And uh, I'd love it if you'd also buy a copy of the very soon to be released, uh, The Holistic You. You will find it on Amazon, The Holistic You. Go read up more about it. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to want it. I, I, I'm trying to be as objective as I can. Yes, I invested a whole lot of myself in it. Yes, I believe that I am sharing and imparting incredibly important information that is life-changing. And, and I, I think it's valuable for people. I really do. So uh, go read more about it on Amazon, The Holistic You. Go ahead, and uh, I hope you will pre-order it right away. It'll come to you in a few days' time, and um, you'll be able to get it. You can also get it as downloads and all kinds of things. So you know how to do all that. Uh, we're a little over time, but uh, I hope you found this show useful. If you are, Make sure you subscribe and uh, make sure le let me have a comment as well. Let me let me know how you feel. Um, is this kind of show useful to you? Because that's my main purpose. I have to be bringing value to your life or this whole thing just isn't worth it. Thanks, everybody. Until next week, make sure that you grow forward in your family and finances, faith, friendship, and fitness. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.